123, Liberty Jail. Yeah, there's some good stuff here. How to respond to opposition, praying to the Lord. The Sacred Temple Prison. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, so welcome. Before we get into our discussion, should we follow up on what we read? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So today we're studying Doctrine and Covenants, sections 121 to 123. Joseph Smith and his companions are going to be in Liberty Jail. They're going to learn a lot from the Lord through their suffering. The Lord is also going to speak peace to him, and he's going to promise them that their afflictions are going to be but just a small moment. The Lord teaches Joseph the virtues of the priesthood and encourages saints to avoid setting their hearts on the things of the world. The Lord is also going to promise them that their trials are going to be for their good, and he encourages them to do all in their power to stand still and see his arm revealed. Mm-hmm. We're going to focus our discussion today on three topics. The first is valiantly enduring criticism and opposition. The second is chosenness. What does that mean? And the third is seeking divine intervention. So in order to help us to dive deeper into these topics, to understand them better, and also into these scriptures, we've invited our friend, Emily Taylor. Emily, will you join us up here? Oh, sure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. So Emily, you are the Assistant Director of BYU Center of Peace and Conflict Resolution. Um, You're also a mediator, an author, and a conflict coach. And tell us a little bit, what do you do as the uh, Director of Conflict, Peace and Conflict Resolution? What does that mean? So even on the BYU campus, there are people who have conflicts. What? Yes. (laughs) It's kind of, (laughs) as a mediator, we see conflict as normal. So differences butting up against each other. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's actually the ability to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So on campus, we do landlord-tenant cases, but we also have you know, roommate issues. Mm-hmm. And people tend to call in just you know, trying to figure out how to work through interpersonal conflicts. So hypothetically speaking, if I were to have like a list of grievances, you'd be able to help us work through that? Hey, I've got time afterwards. <laughs> I know you guys might be tired. We need some help. I'm no, happy to help you. <laughs> we're good. Um, so before we get into our discussion, I'm wondering, was there anything in these sections that kind of stuck out to you as especially meaningful or significant? Sure. What stood out to me really was the personal nature of this revelation. Obviously, we have like Second mm-hmm. Nephi 4, Nephi Psalm in the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. Here we're hearing a little bit, this, this is Joseph's emotion. Mm-hmm. And for me, I appreciate seeing some of the rawness mm-hmm. because it makes me feel like perhaps I'm not so different in that yeah. regard and that slowly I can build a relationship with God in that same way Mm. of pouring out my heart and not just pretending like everything's perfect. Yeah, I mean, I really appreciate these sections and and chapters generally when when we really get a window into the soul of God's God's chosen people. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. And and I I love the historical context of this, this section. I mean, we see some some real struggles with this prophet. Joseph has gone from independence, he's been put on trial, then he goes to Richmond, and there are different situations in each place, but he's in Liberty Jail for a good four months. And this jail, you know, it's six feet high, Joseph is taller than that, and so so is Hiram and and others, and so there's never a chance for them to be able to, to stand up straight. They're given food that sometimes they actually thought was poisonous, so much so that they were, they were throwing up on a regular basis. There was only light coming through a small window. The, the walls were four feet thick. I mean, this is cold. They're there beginning of December. And then they have their wives and others that are dealing with major persecution. And so here we have this, this experience where we're seeing this really authentic prophet in a difficult circumstance that, we, that many of us can't even begin to imagine. But yet Joseph Smith says that this is one of the most, although one of the most trying times, one of the most sanctifying times of his entire life. So maybe we can get right into our discussion then and talk about valiantly enduring criticism uh, yeah. and opposition. Can you take us through a little bit of how Joseph Smith was responding to the criticism he was facing during this time? 
Yeah, I mean, we look at Joseph and yes, there were times when he was um, obviously, I would say frustrated, but at the same time, you know, Joseph walks into Liberty Jail and his response is, you know, hello, gentlemen, right? On the opposite side, there's a point in Richmond Jail, many of you know this story, I don't have it exactly memorized, but he is tired of hearing about the destruction and the cruelty being acted upon his people, those he loves, and he stands up and he just, you know, they say it's almost like a lion and he just calls the people there to repentance mm -hmm. and basically, you know, sends them to hell if they don't repent. So we have this part where in one case, he's, he's jovial and cheerful as we're mm -hmm. told, but the other part, he's also very strong and he is going to act in God's name and he knows that he has the power and authority to do so and the responsibility in a sense. Yeah, so we have a question from a viewer at home regarding this section, maybe we can reflect on it a little bit. Hi, I'm Penny from Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada. And I work as a public health nurse on the stand of First Nations Reserve. As I looked at Doctrine and Covenants 121 to 23 and read Joseph and Emma's letters to each other, I was touched by something Joseph said. And he said that he had borne his oppressions with fortitude and that not one of them had flinched yet. I know as we go into the latter days, as, prepare, as we prepare for the second coming, we are going to have a lot of oppression. So my question is, how do I bear that with fortitude? And how do I not flinch? That's a great question. Emily, any thoughts on how to bear oppression with fortitude? Any thoughts on that? I think of fortitude as, you know, strength. Yeah, yeah. Oftentimes that's your inner strength or you know, strength of your testimony. Yeah. Oppression is opposition, right? Yeah. In, a, I would yeah. say, a, a very negative form. Yeah. But I think what's interesting is, again, going back to this personal nature and responding to this question is our Heavenly Father like directly responds saying, you're not yet as Job. I have not left you completely comfortless. Yeah. Like in addition to the Holy Ghost and the myriad of revelation and experiences mm -hmm. you've had with deity, mm -hmm. you're able to bear with oppression, again, to have a little bit of Zion with you. You have a little bit of with your wife, you have a union, with these other saints that are suffering with you, mm -hmm. that that, to me at least in my own life, gives me strength, yeah. the fortitude that I'm looking for. Excellent, and he's not yet as Job in the sense that his wife and his friends have kind of betrayed him or anything like that. Exactly. Yeah. And I think also part of this has to do with um, maybe the semantics of the word flinching. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, you see right off the bat, Joseph saying, oh God, where art thou? And, and this is a letter that Joseph is writing to, to leaders of the church, right? And they're taking parts of this letter and they're putting it into these sections of the Doctrine and Covenants. And so we see this letter and he's being real. And for some people, if you were to ask, oh God, where art thou? People might say, are, are you questioning God? Do you yeah. believe he's not are there you for doubting? you? Are you yeah. doubting? Joseph's being real, he's suffering and, and, he's, and he's really struggling at this time. And, and perhaps even more for, for Joseph, he's seeing and feeling the suffering of other people. And he's trying to figure out where God is. I think we have to be careful that, that we understand that Joseph may have been saying that he wasn't flinching. There's a difference between flinching and feeling, right? Yeah. And he's feeling and, and he's trying to make it through this. He's trying to continue to be the mm -hmm. prophet for this church. Yeah, and if, I mean, if you were to look at this, specifically section 121, is a kind of model for what it looks like to endure oppression without flinching and with fortitude. You can see that Joseph is very distraught. He's sad. He's crying out for help. He feels like he's been abandoned. Even in these uh, things that we would typically associate with kind of falling apart, 
he still understands that to be having strength in oppression, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking um, that the sincerity of the prayer is mm -hmm. the power of the prayer. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we think we have to be in this perfect state mm -hmm. to be able to petition God. Yeah. But if we're not real, then we're not putting ourselves in a position to get a real answer. Yeah. So I think, again, not going to, that it has to all be raw and like yeah, yeah. pure emotion, but I think even like with my children come to me with sincerity, mm -hmm. I'm much more likely to listen and to be able to empathize and connect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's absolutely scriptural, this idea that our prayers are most powerful when they have that kind of energy and fullness of heart behind them. So thoughts from our audience, what do you think? How do you uh, endure oppression well? One of my thoughts actually from what Emily said, and just in a conflict resolution sense, a lot of times when we're trying to endure oppression or struggle, anything like that, it's having an eternal perspective, turning to God, elongating our perspective. Mm -hmm. And so in a conflict resolution sense, when we're turning to God in actual emotion, when we're actually showing who we are, he's able to respond in kind. If we're being closed off, if we're not doing our part in this relationship, he's not really able to help us as much. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, that principle from Joseph Smith's experience of enduring oppression and even conflict resolution still holds true here. Yeah, and this idea of eternal perspective, I mean, the Lord tells him that your sufferings and afflictions will be but a moment, right? He's inviting him to see past what's gonna happen and kind of look at the big picture. Yeah, other yeah. thoughts from the audience? Just going back to the question you asked, I think the biggest thing that's helped me through my trials and my afflictions is just remembering that everything happens for a reason. It's been one of the hardest things for me to learn because most of the time we don't know why it's happening and sometimes we won't until way later on or until we get back up to heaven. But I think it's just so important that we trust that God has an exact plan for us and everything that happens in our life is happening for a specific purpose that may help us in the future, but we don't, we don't know and we won't understand. We just have to put all our trust in the Lord. And, and, Joseph, I was, and Joseph knows the Lord. And so when you see, especially section 122, I mean, you, you see all these if words, right? If thou art called to pass through tribulations, if thou art in perils among by the brethren, if thou art in perils among the robbers, if, 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 if you go all, I mean, there are so many ifs and if the fierce winds and if the very jaws of hell, right? I mean, it is just this, if all of the worst things in the possible world happen to you, the son of man hath descended below them all, art thou greater than he? And I think one of the ways I know with myself how I am able to get through conflict and, and real struggles in my life is to remember Jesus Christ. And I know he can help. And I know he's gone through more than I can ever imagine going through. He helped the prophet. He helped Abraham. He helped Isaac. He helped Emma. He'll help me and he'll help you. So there's something about remembering. Exactly. Like you've had these previous experiences, now rely on those when you're not having per se this divine experience yet. Right, yep. So this has been an excellent discussion on valiantly enduring criticism and opposition. Let's turn now and talk a little bit about chosenness. Uh, so in, in section 121 and verses 34 and, and 40, you have these kind of parallel verses. One says, behold, many are called, few are chosen. And why are they not chosen? And it goes on to explain why. Uh, verse 40, hence many are called, but few are chosen. So maybe we can start off, Barbara, can you tell us a little bit about what this chosenness means in context, and then maybe we can reflect on uh, what are how does chosenness apply to us today? What does that kind of entail? Well, I'm thinking specifically of Joseph Smith and what he's suffering at this time. 
Joseph has a, has a great quote that I love that he actually writes after he is out of Liberty Jail. And he says the following, no tongue can tell what inexpressible joy it gives a man to see the face of one who has been a friend after having been enclosed in the walls of a prison for five months. It seems to me that my heart will always be more tender after this than ever it was before. For my part, I think I never could have felt as I now do if I had not suffered the wrongs that I have suffered. All things shall work together for good to them that love God. I bring this quote up because in this context, Joseph actually does learn. There's a responsibility for one who is chosen. Uh, there is a foreordination that took place. In fact, Elder Harold B. Lee says the following, referring to being, being chosen, he says, this suggests that even though we have our free agency here, there are many who were foreordained before the world was to a greater state than they have prepared themselves for here. Even though they might have been among the noble and great, from among whom the father declared he would make his chosen leaders, they may fail of that calling here in mortality. Or in other words, just because we're called doesn't necessarily mean we're chosen. The chosen part actually comes in because we have used our agency in a way that shows the Lord that we have chosen him, that we have made him our priority, that there could be other things that are happening regardless of the topic being, being money or whether it's fame or whether it's just, I can't handle this difficulty in my life and I'm in a sense giving up. Joseph Smith, he didn't allow himself to give up or to give in. Rather than giving up, he turned to the Lord. He asked him questions and he went that direction, which would have been extremely difficult for anyone in that situation. But for him, it became that, that process of sanctification that happened as a result. I'm thinking of President Nelson's recent words about the house of Israel and keeping our covenant. Yeah. So being part of the Abrahamic covenant and those, again, if you're not born into that, all are invited to be part of the covenant. So again, chosenness, meaning we choose him. But with that, I think of you're the light of the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A candle that is set on it. It's not to be hid. Mm -hmm. So the responsibility is mm -hmm. to shine your light and to represent Christ, not necessarily represent yourself mm -hmm. and all of your interests, but you become a new creature in Christ. Mm -hmm. And then you highlight to the world the opportunity mm -hmm. that they have to also join into the family of Abraham, whether mm -hmm. it's by blood or just mm -hmm. by entering the covenant. Yeah, so reflecting Christ or being kind of a conduit to Christ, pointing towards Christ in some way. Yes. Yeah. Maybe I can continue on with some of these verses as, mm -hmm. as the Lord especially is going to refer to Joseph. Maybe you guys can reflect on, on what stands out. So uh, he talks about how their hearts are set so much upon the things of this world and aspire to the honors of men and they do not learn this one lesson. And those are those who are not, who, who are called, but few are chosen. And then this is the lesson that they do not learn that the rights of the priesthood are inseparably connected with the powers of heaven and that the powers of heaven cannot be controlled nor handled only upon the principles of righteousness. And then this important teaching, and, and this important teaching is going to be absolutely critical for those who are chosen, that they need to be living this principle. So no power or influence can or ought to be maintained by virtue of the priesthood, only by persuasion, by long suffering, by gentleness and meekness and by love unfeigned by kindness and pure knowledge, which shall greatly enlarge the soul without hypocrisy and without guile. He continues reproving betimes with sharpness when moved upon by the Holy Ghost and then showing forth afterwards an increase of love towards him who has, been, who has reproved, lest he esteem thee to be his enemy. So when have you seen this or when has this stood out to you when somebody was actually acting as if they were chosen? Is there somebody in your life as well who maybe embodies these kinds of attributes? This is a scripture that my husband often uses um, in reference to his father, the example that he had of his father using these traits in his life to be an example as a dad, um, to show that in the family, 
Yes, there are times when we need to reprove, and there are times when we need to remind people what's right, but there's a way that we can do it where the Spirit can be with us, and that makes all the difference. Thanks, Jen. It does make all the difference. I mean, having, having been in that from my own father, I can, I can remember very few times when he reproved, but when he did, I know that he was moved upon by the Spirit, as it says in verse 43, and extremely importantly, I think conflict resolution and things, I always knew that he was reproving because of love, not because of anything else. Any additional thoughts, somebody who embodies these characteristics uh, in your life that you can think of? I think there's a reason why the scripture um, mentions attributes that are kind of hard to be um, embodying. Every single one of us are not able to do those things 24-7, but we're supposed to keep pushing ourselves. So I just think that's very interesting because when I read it, I'm like, Yes, I know people who can fit in that, those categories at certain moments, but sometimes they let their emotions go, and I, mm. I can't just push them away and say that they're not there anymore because mm. every single one of us goes through ups and downs throughout our lives. So I think it depends. Yeah, I, I agree absolutely. I mean, I was looking at it, I was like, yeah, I have maybe one or two of those sometimes. <laughs> but again, um, it, it, it gives me a lot of comfort to know, to recognize that chosenness doesn't imply perfection, right? This has been a great discussion on chosenness. Let's transition now and talk a little bit about seeking divine intervention. What stood out to me in, in this chapter is that Joseph wanted God's intervention uh, to come in a time and in a form that it didn't come, yeah. right? So, I mean, how did he deal with that? And what are some lessons I think that we might learn from, from this experience and, and how God intervenes in, in our life? I think of this actually as the closed book test mm -hmm. and that oftentimes well, Joseph has had these continuing experiences. He's even mm -hmm. been given insight into what will happen. Mm -hmm. So there's been kind of forecasted what's mm -hmm. going to come next. And I thought that was interesting, Barbara, how you brought up in the revelations that we're looking at right now, it says, if, if, you know, yeah. you mention these mm -hmm. things that haven't happened yet, and then you could say, oh, that's kind of scary. Like, what do you mean, if, what do you mean by that? Right, but there is some, again, the closed book test, mm -hmm. but this idea of in the past, you've had all these experiences, and now in your spiritual maturity, mm -hmm. we need to see if there's something more that, where you can grow. And mm -hmm. what he wrote after being in Liberty Jail was, I feel a depth of feeling that I didn't before, I'm changed, mm -hmm. a new heart I've given you, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's at least what I thought of at first in this section. Mm -hmm. Elder Holland has a, has a great talk that I highly recommend. It's just lessons from liberty. I, I love the talk, but one of the statements he makes in there that I, I believe is beautiful, he says, you can have sacred, revelatory, profoundly instructive experience with the Lord in any situation you are in. And then he says, indeed, let me say that even a little stronger, you can have sacred, revelatory, profoundly instructive experiences with the Lord in the most miserable experiences of your life in the worst settings while enduring the most painful injustices, when facing the most insurmountable odds and opposition you have ever had to face. He just goes on talking about this dramatic and, and difficult experience for Joseph, but yet in this time, he received some of his greatest revelations. And he, he was humbly looking towards the Lord and some of these revelations would stick with him as we talked about mm -hmm. for the rest of his life. So maybe to, to, to finish this off, we can get a few uh, thoughts from you all. Um, what might be productive ways to respond when we feel like God is silent 
or distant or just not active in our lives in the way that we would want him to be. I think it goes back to your point that you made earlier about remembering that sometimes in those moments we don't feel Heavenly Father with us, but if we can remember the times when we did, then we can still act in the way that we know we need to act so that we can invite His Spirit to be with us and we can invite revelation into our lives so that when the time is right, Heavenly Father can give us that revelation that we'll be ready for it. Yeah, and there's a lot of emphasis on that, specifically in the Book of Mormon, whenever uh, Lehi and his family are going through trials or um, the Nephites are in bondage or something like that. There's all these phrases like, do you not remember what the Lord has done for our fathers and delivering them through the Red Sea? Do you not remember what the Lord has done here and done here? This importance of remembering and, and using that as a kind of uh, a way to motivate us and strengthen us in our time when we feel like you know, God isn't there. It's to recall him and to invite him in through the act of remembrance. Great. Yeah. Um, so I think when we feel like God's not really in our life how we want him to, I think it helps to like kind of ponder our, on what we're doing and make sure like we really want him in our lives mm -hmm. in that moment. And um, it also helps me to think like if I like pray really hard for something, I know I may want it to come right then and there. Mm -hmm. I just know that God doesn't really answer our prayers or whatever we need in the way we want him to, mm -hmm. but he, he does it in the best way he sees fit. Yeah, and that's a good point because it's thinking back to Joseph Smith. The, eventually Joseph Smith was delivered from the, from the jail, but when, when God responded to his prayer and he said, you know, the, the son of man hath descended below them all, art thou better than he? One of the blessings it seems like God wanted Joseph Smith to learn was something about the savior. Like the, the purpose of his trial was not to get eventually delivered, but to get insight into kind of suffering and, and the depth of darkness that the Savior experienced and to kind of, to use the experience in jail as a way to better understand and come closer to his Savior. So I just like this idea that the blessings that the Lord has for us aren't always the form of the blessings we want. And there, okay. there are so many experiences in the scriptures where it's the Lord who is in the wind per se. You know, I think about the brother of Jared as, he's, as they're going across and the Lord is the one who's causing the wind and not that the Lord is causing the adversity, but he's there along with mm -hmm. us. And, and I love that in the end of, of section 123, where he talks about um, the ship and he actually, in verse 16, he describes the need for this wind. He describes this need for adversity. So he says, you know, brethren, that a very large ship is benefited very much by a very small helm in the time of a storm by being kept workways with the wind and the waves. Like the ship cannot make it unless they have wind that is going to help the small helm get across. Therefore, dearly beloved brethren, let us cheerfully do all things that lie in our power. And then may we stand still with the utmost assurance to see the salvation of God and for his arm to be revealed. At least it's helped me at times to recognize that the Lord is in this. And sometimes the Lord is not answering the way I want to answer. Uh, he's, he's, helping me to gain patience through my suffering. And it's a quality that I desperately need mm -hmm. <laughs> and I need to continue on. And I think we all have different uh, Christ-like characteristics that we, have to, that we have to gain in difficult situations. But I love it where he just says, stand still. Like, sometimes there is really not a lot more you can do. And they're in this prison. They can't really go anywhere. They have to stand still patiently waiting upon the Lord and learning lessons that need to be learned and, and knowing Jesus Christ well enough to know that this is for a purpose. And this really will give us the experience that we need. Mm -hmm. Barbara, one thing that came to mind when you were talking was the idea of faith being a determination yeah. to believe a certain thing 
the outcome will be good. Yeah. I'm determined to trust you, like mm -hmm. Peter walking on the water. We, we emphasize that Peter started sinking, but Peter walked on the water. Like that, that was the beginning. And I think for us to think not of just our failures, but to see it as a process, our eternal growth is based on the successes and failures alongside mm -hmm. the Savior, instead of somehow we're gonna present ourselves perfect in the end. So this has been a great discussion on seeking divine intervention. So thank you so much for your comments and, and your insights. Emily, we really appreciate you and also your insights into the scriptures have been very much appreciated today. We'd like to thank you also in the audience. We appreciate your time being here. We appreciate your experiences, your comments, your suggestions. They've been help, very helpful today. Mm -hmm. And thank you those at home for uh, sending your comments and questions and insights to us via social media. Uh, we'd love to have you come join us in the studio sometime, but if you can't, we hope you'll tune in next week for Come Follow Up. Thanks. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.